Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Today, without further ado, I'm really interested uh, uh, to hear more from our guest. Uh, there's been a lot in the news for those that watch the news every day. And in it, it just seems like, wow, is it the end of the world? Is there a cliff that we're all about to drive off? I mean, it seems like there's no end in sight to all of the bad news. And so our guest, Emily Slingluff, she's going to talk about why is there so much hate in the U.S.? Typically, when we watch the news, there seems to be a lot of finger pointing, depending on what side you're on, if you're on a side. But she has a totally different perspective on it. She's, she's saying the onus is on us, and it could be on our parents. And so for those that like pointing the finger at others, they might be in for shock. So put your seatbelt on. We're going to hear her take from the media expert, Emily Slingluff. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Hansa. You've already said a big thing. I was going to lead to it gently. (laughs) (laughs) Shall shall I I try now? Well, I was just thinking some of our our feedback that we've gotten from guests is they they say that we use Band-Aids, and they don't like for us to use Band-Aids, so they said rip that sucker off and have her go right at it. All right. All right. I'll I'll do that. All right? This is is what I think, having – thought about this for a very, very long time, different phases of it, but I think that I can say something that may help your listeners just figure it out themselves. Okay, anybody who feels hate has hate inside himself. I mean, that's a Mm no-brainer. Anybody who hates feels hate inside himself. Now, when I say he, I mean he or she. I'm not going to say he or she every time or him or her, but I mean him or her or he or she. Okay, so some people have hatred inside themselves and some do not, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll start with a little shocker here. I'll ask all of you listening what you think on the first day of a mass murder, when it's announced, you're listening to a newscaster and he says something about the horrible murder of the Orlando nightclub shooting or Las Vegas or the Parkland School, whatever, and mentions the culprit, the uh, accused, and then says, we do not yet know the cause. I think, oh, yes, we do. We know. We know the cause. And I can say it in one word. Okay? Everybody ready? We're ready. One word, the cause of mass murders is unhappiness. Unhappiness. Yeah. Now, some may say, oh, for goodness sakes, for goodness sakes, that's silly. That's silly. What do you mean by happy? Well, I will tell you that years ago, many, many years ago, I heard a very respected psychiatrist say that the goal of psychiatrists in treating patients of any age is happiness. And I was surprised only for a second because then I realized happy is not a little tiny word. Happy is a huge word. We can think now, okay? Mm-hmm. Mulling over that. Think about a little child. Think about maybe a little six year old in first grade. 
and um, the little six-year-old goes up to another little six-year-old and punches him in the shoulders, and, or maybe says, nobody likes you, or your ears are too big, something, something to hurt another little six-year-old. Now, we call, you know what we call those little six-year-olds? We call them little bullies. They're trying to hurt another little six-year-old. How sad that is. How sad that is. Now, not all little six-year-olds want to hurt others. Not all older people want to commit mass murders. But in both of those cases, unhappiness is the cause. Now, you're going along with me on this, right? We're right there. Happy people we all know, are usually nice to other people. Think about it. I mean, maybe a lot of people haven't dwelt on this word happy. But when you think about it, happiness, as I said, it's, it's huge. A person who is happy with himself, who's happy with life itself, is usually kind to other people. I mean, I don't mean happy as having a whole bunch of Hershey bars or, or, you know, a brand-new iPad or something. I mean true, deep happiness. So I would say that we should probably feel sympathy for those people who are full of hatred because they're unhappy. You with me so far? Yes. Yeah. You're a little bit shocked, right? (laughs) I'm I'm making it kind of simple. And maybe, truly, it is simple. It is simple. I like the the part. Hmm? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Why why are some people unhappy and some people are not? Okay? I hope you've absorbed all the the first part because I think it's hard to um, not accept. That, that that the people who commit mass murders or even the little children who are being unkind to each other. And not all little children are unkind to each other. Just some people are. And just some people want to commit mass murders. So why, why, why? Why are some people one way and some people are another way? And uh, I know for years people used to say, oh, people are just born certain ways. Right? Maybe some people listening right now are thinking that, but... Maybe some are up on the latest scientific research, which has proved that even genes can be changed in a young child if there is abuse, physical or emotional abuse. Okay? Mm-hmm. Is everybody still shocked lying on the floor? <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I agree with you. Everything that you're saying, I've kind of felt that way. So you've already felt that way. Good for you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've always <laughs> felt that. You know, I feel sorry for people that are in that much, you know, that much pain and have that much hate. So it's Isn't like I've never. Isn't that interesting? Feeling sorry. I'll, I'll tell you one little simple. I shouldn't do this. A little personal thing here, but we'll get back to the big topic. I told my son when he was little. I said, if anybody ever hits you, there's no reason to hit back. Just feel sorry for that person. He's probably been hit, and maybe by his own parent. And 
Isn't it the truth? Imagine everybody feeling that way. Imagine the world full of people who are kind to each other, who are caring about each other, instead of feeling hatred. And we can do something about it. I think there's, a, there's something we can do. But um, some people listening probably already are <clears throat> kind of wondering, because of the psychiatrist's comment, um, unhappiness is truly being mentally unhealthy. Obviously, that's that's the true meaning of unhappiness. You know, a, pe- a person who's happy feels um, confident. I mean, confident about himself, res- respected as a person, instead of the opposite, which is why people go for help as they get older. They realize they 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 don't really feel quite right. Maybe people don't like me, or, or um, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing here with life and I I just feel confused this is just another term for it happy is is a simple way to say it but I think it's accurate you know right yes okay all right okay so Uh, what can we do about it that's my topic right yes (laughs) there is something that we can do we don't have to just throw up our hands and say it's too complicated we can't do anything some people are just gonna be awful and some aren't But this I will throw out, and I think everybody will agree with this. The formative years are called formative because they're formative. Okay, let that sink in. The formative years are called formative because they are formative. Now, the main influence at that time is the parent. Now, some may say, oh, 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 well, I know that parent took, took that child to, to the mother, to the grandmother, you know, of the, of the child. Well, who made the decision to do that? The mother. The parent makes the decisions in the very beginning about what influences there will be on the child. And the parent can decide if she is the main influence or if she is a big influence, which she is either directly or indirectly. She can decide. I can tell you three points that actually I have put in a book because I heard so many people over time as I was listening to other broadcasters and things talk about parenting and making it so complicated. You know, a lot of people think parenting is complicated. I know it does not have to be complicated. It can be simple, okay? Mm You wanted me to come on and say something surprising, maybe. Maybe that's one of them. <laughs> Parenting can be simple, and it can be um, fun and wonderful, a pleasure, not a problem. Okay? So I'll tell you one, two, three points. Ready? Okay. Okay, and then we can go into detail as much as you want. I wish they'd be call-ins. I love that one. But you you can probably guess what all these people are saying. So can I guess what the listeners are thinking. And I'm used to the <clears throat> the um, questions because this is surprising. Some people have not looked at parenting the way they can look at it. I'd say one, two, three. Realize the importance. Set a goal. Reach the goal. That's pretty simple. How about that? I love it. And realize the importance. Okay. 
Want to talk about that for a minute? Do we think it's important or are some people listening thinking, oh, parenting doesn't much matter, you just have a child and that's it. Oh, whatever happens, happens. But I think most parents do do care. Um, I mean, I've even talked to parents who were sent to me by the Social Services Bureau in Norfolk and and, um, they had abused their children. And even those parents, I would say, loved their children. They thought what they were doing was the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them. Some of them were so uh, <clears throat> unhappy themselves that they did not have much of a choice. That's a part of this whole thing. But <clears throat> um, while parents realize that it matters, some may not focus on how very, very much it matters. I would ask Everybody listening right now, I've just got you two listening at the moment before all the rest of the listeners, but is there any job that you can name that's any more important than the job of parenting? I mean, think about it. The world can be no better than the people in it. I'm taking the words of Louis Mercado in a book called, what was it called? The Right to Be Intelligent. I like that book. Anyway, the world, we know that. The world can be no better than the people in it. No matter what jobs are done, and a lot of jobs matter, almost every single job matters, um, the people doing the job matters. I mean, heaven knows we need farmers, we need carpenters, but we want those people to be kind, honest people. Um, we don't want our house to fall apart. Or, uh, everything matters goes back to the person doing the job. So Now, when you... I have a question for you, Emily. Sure. So when you, <laughs> I'm used to it. What? <laughs> sure. So it, it's really funny um, when you're talking about people that are unhappy, and I, I actually just found out a few minutes ago. I'm usually on top of this, so this made me unhappy. Today is actually ice cream day, and they are giving away free ice cream at at Dairy Queen. That uh-huh. made me very unhappy, right? And so the other thing is when you're talking about parents. Uh, you know, a lot of people are one of the big jo- not jokes, but that people say in conversation is, "Oh, at least I'm not going to be on Oprah in 30 years." You know, blaming you, mom and dad, and we're having this we're having this conversation two days after March 18th, which was actually National Forgive Mom and Dad Day. Come on, so, I didn't know that. I did not. Yeah, know that. Oh, yeah. So when you forgive mom and dad and you're talking about, in, the, in one case, mass murderers and, and feeling sorry for them, on some level, I, I think that's why Forgive Mom and Dad Day came about because they didn't have the tools initially and they did the best that they could at the time. So yeah. it's kind of a uh, give and take with child and parent once the child becomes an adult. I, I, I'm so glad you said that. I, I will tell you, I do not – Blame. I don't like the word blame anyway. Hope we're all trying to do our best, but I don't blame parents. I do not. No. Um, there. Uh, oh, oh gosh, so much I want to say about forgive mom and dad. Um, yes, I think that there's always hope. I guess you can tell I'm a fairly happy soul here. Um, I, I, so I think there's hope if a parent wants to be forgiven. Um, I I mean, I've had too many people say to me, I I read your book about what to do with the little child, but my child now is 10 years old, and my child's 15 years old. It's too late. 
and I said, you can sit down and talk to that child and say, you know what, I thought what I was doing was right, but I wish I'd done it differently. I wish I'd been kinder to you. I wish I'd been on your side instead of always against you, always saying, no, don't do that. Oh, do, don't do it because I said not to do it. That's why. Don't ask me again or you'll be punished. I mean, that sounds too familiar, I know. We hear people say it all the time, and, and it's so, 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 so wrong. Why not be on the child's side always, you know? And so I think that a parent can, to get back to what you said, um, say to the child, I'm sorry. Um, I frankly think it's mighty hard for a child to just forgive a parent from those words. I think the parent will also have to change to get true forgiveness. Because if a parent has been mean to a child, it has an enormous effect on that child forever. Um, but if the parent changes, wow, oh, wow, that's wonderful. That shows that the parent really cares. Did I say all of that, answering what you brought up? Yeah, well, when you're – and thank you for that. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, because my next question would be – your stance on different generations. So if we would talk about the 70s and 80s, it was the first time that both parents were out of the house. And so if both parents are out of the house, you have latchkey kids, right? And so, or, you know, if they didn't have a babysitter, so the kids are pretty much raising themselves. And parents more so did it because they wanted what's best for their children. But here you have, you know, grown adults you know, upset with their parents because maybe they weren't there or they felt they didn't spend enough time with them. And that could be a generational thing because the generation before, either, you know, mom pretty much stayed home and so there was a consistency and a constant uh, just love and discipline and all that went together that didn't happen in the 70s and 80s as the uh, family dynamic changed. A lot you said there that I would like to respond to. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> there, uh, there is a change, and a lot of mothers are choosing. And you made a comment, so it would be best for the children. I don't know um, to make more money, so the child would have more money, or a bigger house, or an extra car. Um, what is best for the child, if we really think hard about it, is love and kindness from the parent. I've um, talked to many, many people who grew up extremely um, poor, poor in money, who got love from one parent. Maybe it was two in some cases. Often when people have talk, told me they've mentioned one, usually the mother, but sometimes the father. Sometimes the father. Um, but <clears throat> that's, <laughs> that's what really gives a person inner peace, happiness with life, is having that love and security from the beginning. I mean, we can imagine a child, the same child, say, someone who's very similar, wouldn't be exactly the same, put in two entirely different, home settings, one while where the mother leaves every single day to make more money, um, and the other one who stays home and hugs the child and answers the questions and never barks at him, never said orders, 
but listens and answers questions and asks the child questions. Respects the child. I think, gosh, I can get off on so much, but I think the word respect is a very interesting word because, you know, we hear people say, got to get that child to respect the parent. Well, you know the way to do it is to have the parent respect the child from the moment the child comes into the world. And why not? That child's a worthy human being, whoever it is, unless the parent leads it astray and it becomes full of hatred. But anyway, I heard you mention, too, I want to go back to this, that it's so good to have the parent give the child love and like they did more. There's still a lot of people who are choosing to stay home. And I will say, in two or three thoughts, <laughs> we're going off on tangents here, but recently I have noted that when a mother chooses to be a full-time mother, I bet you've noticed this too, maybe not, but when somebody says they're a full-time mother, they say it with this aura of of almost, I, I can barely describe it, it's almost as if they have little angels flying around or a crown on her head or something, but a crown of happiness, not anything else. I think that parents who do choose to stay home are so proud of realizing that they are doing something that is extremely important. And it's not only extremely important to their own child, but, and you know this too, that one child will touch other people's lives. We, we know how many times one person has been a help or been a horrible hindrance. Um, so it is a hugely important job, and um, I, I do think that, that mothers who are choosing to stay home are um, aware. It may be a fairly new thing after this initial um, feminist movement, in a way, um, <clears throat> of women wanting to have paid jobs outside of the home. Um, the other thing <clears throat> that you said, uh, the, the grandeur of years ago of the mother giving the child love and discipline, mm-hmm. the word discipline. I wonder if you know the meaning of discipline. I will tell you that years ago when I wrote my first book and I was giving a talk and I was talking about the harms of spanking. Well, this was years ago. Now most people know that spanking is harmful. But then people were shocked. And one person just raised her hand in the middle of the talk and said, I've just got to ask you something. You don't believe in discipline? And what I said to her, I have said probably a hundred times since then, the meaning of to discipline is to teach. I looked it up recently. I looked it up in my Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, and it said to educate. Um, It was the first definition. And in Wikipedia on the Internet here, it Mm -hmm. said the first definition was to teach. To discipline means to teach. And we certainly know that a parent teaching a child works better not by hitting not by punishing at all, but by being on the child's side, by being kind, by working with the child, putting herself in the child's place, and then knowing exactly what to do always. You're shocked again, right? Well, no, I like it. and I like the, the – I think what we're uncovering here 
Emily, is uh, contrast. We talk about in a lot of podcasts contrast. Like if I had uh, if I had some challenges, it made me a better person to overcome those challenges. And so when you're saying that even that there's even talk of a conversation of women wanting to stay in the home, it's because of the contrast where they they didn't have a choice but to stay in the home. And then when in the 70s and 80s they were given that opportunity. And then they saw, okay, maybe divorce rates were increasing and the children, they didn't get the, t- the, the time and love, like you're saying, to the children. So we're going back to some of those ways. And the other part that you mentioned was even uh, people misconstruing discipline for hitting children. Mm-hmm. And generations ago, it could have been, well, my dad did that, my grandfather did that, whereas now we're like, we see the contrast where we can um, – put ourselves in the shoes of our children, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll, I like what you said. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, an interesting thing, <clears throat> while we're delving here, the reason, I haven't gotten to my second and third points real clearly, but, but we're kind of touching on them already. Um, the reason some parents are not as kind as they could be. Well, sometimes it's because they, they're just following what they read in a book or what they've heard somebody say or what their neighbors did, none of which are good reasons. I hate to say that, but, excuse me, too many people who write about parenting and who speak about parenting are still a little caught up in what was considered mm, the usual, I guess, years and years ago. But what is happening now with people who are in the business big time is more what I'm saying right now. Um, <clears throat> uh, someone came to my house years ago, not years ago, maybe about a year ago, who um, very involved in a New York business, not, not volunteer, but paid for years, helping families. I think that was the way it was. I like the word helping parents better than families because... I think one parent can do it. But anyway, um, and she was stunned. She read an article that I had, um, an interview that was in the paper, when I had first written a book years ago, and she said, I am amazed that you thought that that many years ago because it's what we're teaching now. Hmm. And um, and I, I, I think people are trying to teach it. I don't know that, I do know, that <laughs> not enough of them are realizing how far it can go. You don't have to be just a little bit kind. You can be all the way kind. Mm. Emily, let me ask you, what about, and I agree with everything that you're saying, and, and just, but I've seen situations where you have two parents, and for all intents and purposes, they're very loving parents. They love their children, and they might, let's say, have four or five children, but there's the there's one child that just is um, you know always in trouble. Um, maybe just not very. The parenting doesn't seem necessarily vary with all, but it seems like in some cases there's always maybe one child that is just off a little different than the rest of them, and is just um, you know struggles. I guess you could say when they're growing up. Why do you think that is? Well, 
<clears throat> that's interesting. And 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 one thing that's worth saying, and every thinking person knows the exceptions to everything. So, yeah. you know, no matter what kind of, <laughs> um, regardless of any topic. But um, four or five children, I, I that's a whole lot of children. I don't know. I had two children, and my husband was thinking, I really am telling you personal things here, but he had thought we'd have three children because he was one of three children. You know, that's often the way it goes. And um, I, I had was one of two, and I said, you know, we would have less money and we would have less energy to help the two children if we had three children. Um but anyway, just throwing that out, um, I think there's some way that that child was treated by the parent. That's what I think without any question. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, there's some thought, that, oh, the middle child suffers, you know, if they're three children, you've heard that. Everybody, mm-hmm. they're so excited about the first child, they want the first child to excel in every single thing. And and then the last child, they're so excited because it's a baby. Um <clears throat> And the middle child is neglected. Um, there's so much. There's so much. I mean, the, you know, the expression helicopter parents, we don't want too much hovering anyway. <laughs> so um, I just think if a child is disturbed, almost always it's because of the treatment in the formative years, because they're called formative. I'm not making it up, and you know it too. They're called formative because they are formative. And um, particularly in the very, very beginning, I, I will I'll digress a tiny bit before I get into my point two and three, but we, we're kind of touching on them anyway. I think from the very, very beginning, and this is something that will be another shocker for your show, I think. You know, we used to hear, I know I did, that when a baby cries in the crib, you know, you shouldn't go to them because, oh, then they'll be spoiled. You just let them cry for a while. You heard that? Yes. Well, I will tell you what happened in my family. Oh, I'm really opening up to you. Um, the first time we were alone with our first little boy, first child, we'd had a nurse thanks to our parents helping us, and the nurse had taken time off, and he made a little cry while we were sitting down to have our supper in another room. And I said to my husband, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but... This is what I did say. I said I'd just been told by this nurse when she left that sometimes babies cry, and you just don't worry about it. They just cry. And and as you said, you've heard, too, you don't go to them or they'll be spoiled. Well, anyway, I said that to my husband. We just let him cry. He stood up and said, I do not care what anybody says. I am not going to let my child cry. And we never did. There was never any reason for them to cry. And we were kind in the very beginning, and then they were kind back. The um, <clears throat> the thing I was going to say is the baby crying in the crib, answering that cry gives that baby a sense of security. I mean, we can, like we're supposed to do, put ourselves in the other person's place. And suppose we were the baby lying in the crib, and we didn't know where we were. We don't know what this world is. We don't know anything. We've been inside a woman's body. We don't know. And and we make a sound. We can't say, please come, or what is this, or who are you, or we don't know what to say. We just make a cry, because we, we can't talk. We're a brand-new baby. And suppose nobody comes. And then we continue to make a cry, and we find we can make a little louder cry, and still nobody comes. And we're getting 
your word probably is unhappy. Um, definitely confused, definitely insecure. All the things we don't want. And nobody comes, and we finally cry ourselves to sleep. Um, and that goes on and on and on for years. How would we feel? Suppose instead we were the baby crying, and immediately with the little cry, in came the mother or the father, picked up the baby and hugged it and said, I love you, I love you, and hugged it and took the baby in where they were and kept hugging it. You know, you cannot hold a baby too much when it's little. Hug and hold and tell the baby you love it. Change the diapers. Do whatever. Be kind, 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 and the child will not be crying much longer. It's amazing. The child will be happy. I mean, you could put the child back in bed after a while and say, call me if you want anything. (laughs) But not be a mean dictator, but be kind. Um, So I would say go to the baby crying in the crib is huge as a start. And um, I don't know how people manage with (laughs) a whole lot of children. Uh, Some people have more energy than others, right? But um, if you have three or four children, it's kind of hard to answer every question. And and that's what really makes life so wonderful for a child, is to have a parent who can, um, and who answers the questions, you know? So you're so saying... Here, continuing, and then we can keep on to the details. That's sort of what we're saying anyway. My one, two, three points was realize the importance set a goal, and the goal, I bet you know what it is from what I've said so far, is, well, let me just, let me just say this, it might be worth, a lot of parents think they should have goals, plural, right? Right. Have goals, haven't you heard that? Yes. Have goals, okay, so when the baby's little, your goal is to have the baby sleep through the night and not be disturbed, you, I think that's sad, Ooh, makes me sad to hear that. But um, a little bit older, have the child not ask so many questions. Has something happened to the phone? Can you hear me all right? You're, you sound fine on my end, but it sounds okay. like, uh, yeah, okay. go ahead. Um, and so a little bit older, the child, uh, maybe you'd have a goal that it not ask questions, which also disturbs me. That's a horrible thing to wish that. Um, and then you wish you'd do well in school, and then you wish this, and then you wish you'd get married and have money and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but what would you wish when the child is 60 or 70 years old and suppose all those things that a parent wished was true but that child at every age is unhappy what would the goal be then i think the the scary part of that and when you're talking about the goals it it reminds me of of wayne dyer Uh, one thing he always said that in one of these stories was when he was he couldn't wait I think that was the, the premise. He couldn't wait. So when he was in elementary school, he couldn't wait to be in middle school. When he was a teenager, couldn't wait to be an adult. When he was an adult, he couldn't wait to have children, couldn't wait to buy a house. And then when he was old, he was like, I never lived because I was always – I couldn't wait for something else. I couldn't appreciate what I currently had. Aww, that's, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, with a kind parent, we're appreciating. I think, again, I'm straying from my real ideas here, but not really. When you see a a parent pushing a um, little baby in a stroller, and the parent is listening to music on the iPhone, I just think how sad that is. 
I mean, that parent could be talking to the child about the puppies they're seeing or the blossom on a dogwood tree that just came or how pretty the sky is that day. Something, you know, enjoying life, appreciating life. I wrote a blog about that, strolling with the baby. Well, anyway, so that's... um, Two is to set a goal, and obviously from all that we've been saying, you know the goal would be for the child to be happy. Um, yeah. It would be not disturbed, um, and the parent can do that. Oh, so all right, point three. For one is realize the importance. Two is set a goal of happiness for the child. And three, reach the goal by being kind. That's it. One, two, three. Be kind. Now, I, be kind I do want time, to go back. Be on the child's side. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to question number one. I, I want to piggyback off yeah, of I'm, what I'm you did. I'm not quite hearing you. You're talking in the phone. Okay. Is that better now? Good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to piggyback off of what David was saying with uh, multiple children, and it's realized the importance. So are you familiar with uh, Freakonomics? I don't know. Tell me more. Sure. So Freakonomics, it was a, a, a great book. You, there were two authors. One was a, I want to say he was an economist, and the other was a psychologist. So they wanted to put the two together. And one, it was fiery then, and it's fiery. This book was in 2006. So it was a fiery premise that I'm about to tell you and back then, and it was a fiery premise today. And what they had noted was the crime rates in New York in the late 80s, New York City. And they were like, wow, why is crime going down in, in New York City? And they were like, well, was it uh, they had more police? Was it because that was the beginning of the surveillance where you had cameras everywhere? And they said, no, this was 16, 17 years, actually, what was it, 16 years after Roe versus Wade. And what happened prior to Roe versus Wade, parents just kept having children, if they wanted them or not. You had a lot of whoopsie babies. And children felt it. Like you said, if they're not giving them the, the love and attention to be happy, children felt, hey, I'm not wanted. So when they were teenagers, they started acting out. And then they were like, well, after Roe versus Wade, you know, you had a choice. So you didn't have to have the baby and keep reminding them, hey, you weren't wanted, or they didn't feel that way. They felt, hey, you had a choice, and I am wanted. I am wanted here. And so people had less children, and they were able to spend more time with them, like you're saying, so they were happier. And so it it, it riled a lot of feathers, of course, because you're talking about Roe versus Wade. But you also saw a, a drop in a lot of cultures from having a lot of children because, like you were saying, uh, can you spend a lot of time for them, with them? And if they're like four or five or six or seven, they're all competing for your attention and somebody's going to maybe fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the other side of that, uh, to be topical, is you realize the importance you love your babies because uh, this is in the news that they're calling them um, what do you call them lawnmower babies or snowplow babies? What are you saying? Love your baby? What now? What's the next thing? No, are you hearing lawnmower parents or snowplow parents? Have you heard those terms yet? No, not helicopter. No more helicopter used to hover over the lawnmower and the snowplow would run the 
run everything every obstacle out of the way. And so the, 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 when they just broke up this ring where the parents are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for their children to go to these Ivy League schools, they set a goal. They want the best for their children, but the children's not a part of the <laughs> decision-making process. So what's your take when the parent tries to take over every obstacle and the children, and the children doesn't learn? The, oh, no, 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 the, no, 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 I, no, 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 absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> You know, I think putting oneself in the other person's place is just a wonderful way to remember it. When I, I, I've said different things about the one, the second thing is to set a goal, and then the third thing, reach the goal easily. And I think being kind is probably the simplest way to say it, but putting oneself in the other person's place is another way. Positive parenting rather than negative parenting is another way to say it. You know, I mean, I just said <laughs> terrible what some parents do. No, you can't do that because I said you can't. That's why. And I'm your mother. And don't ask me again or you'll be punished. Uh, that, that's negative, obviously. But instead, the positive parenting can be, oh, that would be fun to do that. Let's see. Well, how could we work that? You know, being on the child's side, being kind. Now, the other thing I haven't really even touched on yet is part of the kindness I did mention briefly, but um, part of the kindness is not being a dictator at all, which means not setting rules and meeting out punishment. That means there are two sides, two opposing sides. It's almost a master-slave, although some master-slave relationships were nice, but I mean, it's it's not helpful to the child. And um, I realized late in life that well, we never punished. There was never a reason to punish. We talked about everything, and they tried to be nice, and we tried to be nice, and it was so simple and, and wonderful. Um, I have a quote here, and I can just say it to you. I think I read it years ago. Bruno Bettelheim wrote about punishment. Okay, you ready? It's one. I'm ready. And I know okay. it by heart. Um, Punishment, now this is in the parent-child relationship, um, punishment may make us obey the orders that are given, but at best will only teach an obedience to authority, not a self-control which enhances our self-respect. Mm-hmm. I love it. Isn't it, I mean, it, it says it all in that one sentence. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's no reason to um, have two sides. Let me ask you another question uh, with regards to economics. So when it's all things being equal, going back to, let's say, 60s, 70s, early 80s, it was more of a level playing field across the board. And just recently on the Bill Maher show, he had a map of the United States uh, because they were talking about Jeffrey Bezos, the owner of Amazon, opening a new location either in New York or I believe it was Washington, D.C. And so he was like, well, why don't you open it in middle America or other places like that? Because in this map, you had uh, a growing economic disparity 
uh, with families where you have more ha- more have-nots than you have haves. And if you if there isn't that level playing field where you live, and you're fighting for scraps, do you have time to be kind to your children? And maybe that's why there's so much hate now, just because everyone's not on a level playing field. What's your take on that? I got. I, I was. I don't quite get your your point. Well, when I had mentioned, if you have multiple kids, if you can't afford them, right, one kid's going to fall through the cracks because you don't have time to spend with them. And then if two parents are in the house, they're, they don't, you're still not giving the child enough attention uh, because it may be you have a lot of, you have more mouths to feed. And so if you don't have an industry, like an industry moves, like the Rust Belt, uh, those jobs that they used to count on getting the gold watch and retiring, they don't exist anymore. And so you're kind of taken out of, yeah, I'd love to spend time with my kids, but maybe I'm working two jobs now uh, just so I can keep food on the table. Oh, okay. So we're talking about the money thing now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's, yes, I could talk about that for a long, long time. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of people who are, who were very poor in money have told me, I think I mentioned that earlier a little bit, that, um, that they are extremely happy, secure people. One, one woman was head of a big organization. She wrote a book about parenting. Um, she came here to Norfolk to speak, and I became kind of friends a little bit with her. She said she had so little money. Her father was a migrant worker, and so they moved often, and sometimes they didn't have any food. Sometimes the only water was in a trailer that was nearby in a bucket. She said her mother was so kind to her, explained everything, was open, was loving. And she then said, when people think that poor people can't help cherish their children, I resent it. So she was somebody that knew. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to numerous people who grew up with very little money, who are happy as can be because of kind parenting. Um, also, I will throw out that I know people who are extremely wealthy who have mixed up. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, well, I wasn't saying absolutes. We definitely weren't saying absolutes there. <laughs> that's right. I mean, so, so money is not what matters. Um, I mean, I hate to say I wouldn't have left my children, my first child, I wouldn't have left either one of them, but I mean, it just would not, I, I wouldn't have, I would have lived in a hut with no windows. I would not have left them. Because if, if you stay with the child, you can influence the child the way you think is best. Rather than taking him off somewhere else, you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And, um, and what a thrill that is. What a thrill. And it's really the formative years that matter so much Then the child goes to school, you know? But, um, no, I think, um, I think forgetting punishment is a huge, um, my, my second book, <laughs> I was at a conference in New York and I was calling it something else entirely. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the three points that I'm just, that I've just told you It's all the book is. It's a real short one. I think my first one is a little more comprehensive, but, um, the, um, <clears throat> Uh, what am I telling you about parenting, about punishment? Uh, what are we saying here? Oh, and, and the people at the conference 
particularly the head of the conference, was so entranced that I believed parenting can take place without punishment that he said, you've got to change the title of that book. And I did. I called the publisher and said, leave, can you leave all the words exactly as they are, but just change the title? <laughs> and uh, so that's what we did, and it's called Parenting Without Punishment. Um, but no, but, you know, <clears throat> I think getting, getting back to um, hatred, since that was what we were talking about, people um, who are full of hatred and who do things to hurt other people, um, are unhappy, and and there is a solution. I, I think we truly should feel sorry for these people who are full of hatred. I mean, they may think they are big, strong people stating their hatred, but um, as, did I tell you about the newscaster that I heard from? No. I didn't tell you that not long ago. I heard him, and I'm not sure who it was, so I don't want to tell you his name. It was one of two people. I was in the car, and I heard him say, where there's hatred in this country now, it is not just for one person. And I don't know what he said after that, whether an ad came on or what, but I definitely understood because, as I said at the beginning of this, if there's hatred inside somebody, it's inside them. Um, There's hatred. And it has nothing to do with the person being hated. That person doesn't feel anything. It's this hatred inside the person. And how sad that is that somebody would feel hatred instead of enjoyment of life. And so maybe we should tell them all we feel sorry for you. Yeah, I guess that would be my follow-up because when you're saying people can change – and you're talking about those formative years, sometimes that hate is taught. And so mm-hmm. they may, uh, it, it may just be limited exposure, who knows, but then the child moves away and then they get exposed to, you know, different cultures or what have you, and they, they no longer harbor that hate that they had learned when they were in their formative years. So what are some ways that children can overcome that if they're in a, in a hateful environment or if they're in an environment where there's punishment or there's hitting and not the educating, teaching discipline, what's a way that uh, children or teens can uh, get outreach either in the community or online? All right, that, that's fascinating. And, and I think you and I, I don't know you, but I feel like you're, you're nice and an optimist, which I am. So I think there is hope. But... Um, it's the think about people going to psychiatrists, people who are troubled, and they go at any age. And um, I told you what the psychiatrist did. I tell you what the psychiatrist said. I did. Yes. Yeah. He um, and and sometimes it works pretty well. Sometimes it works a little bit, but. As, um, let me see, I'm quoting, who is it? What's his name? Frederick Douglass. You know who he was? Lived in the 1800s. He was a slave who became a a respected statesman. He said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Hmm. Yep. So there's hope, and I do agree with you, other influences can matter tremendously, Um, but we know this, this is a no-brainer too, 
we know about the formative years. So what happens later, every single influence we know matters to us as long as we live, you know, whether it's something we read or see or hear on television or whatever it is. Um, but those influences later in life are building on the foundation. And so, I mean, two different people can listen to a talk and have different ideas because of what they were before that talk, you know? Absolutely. So I think there's hope, and, and I hope or there's hope, but um, I think that the best thing is for it to come from apology from the parent, which you mentioned. Um, and I think it's hard to expect, I mean, I think it's right much to expect a child to say, sure, I'll forgive you. Um, after something that as important as screwing up somebody's life. But um, but I think if the parent changes, I mean, if it's a time the child is still living at home or something as a teenager or something and the parent changes and is really kind, you know, I would think there would definitely be some some hope and certainly psychiatrists help. And, um, <clears throat> you know, believing in God is what a lot of people believe too that um, and I think that's probably the same thing as appreciating life for people who believe in God but um, I do think we can feel sorry for them for the people who are who are full of hatred they are they are pathetic creatures you know they they were called crybabies at one point when something happened I think some election or something people didn't like the the um outcome and they weren't able to go to school weren't couldn't go to class they were so full of crying and i oh, wow. thought to myself maybe that's that's the term that's correct because maybe they were crying in the crib and they were not answered well one thing that that i feel hopeful about is uh, because you're mentioning if there's these uh case of mass murdering and what have you those people aren't usually alive right afterwards if they get caught in the crossfire so there has been a lot of outreach with global communities on the web where they're helping each other heal because it's happening so often. It's no longer an isolated incident once every 10 years. I mean, it seems like it's always on the news. So just the, the, out, the out, um, outreach that's happening glo- on a global scale where these people can, can uh, take steps to healing because there will be some PTSD associated with that event, especially if it happened. I mean, it's always going to happen, but especially if it happened when they were children, it's good that they have a, a outreach now, whereas maybe a generation ago there weren't as many resources. So I do feel really confident about um, there may be a lot of hate or more so hate in the U.S., but that tide could change on a dime. Yeah, I like what you're saying. I hope so too, but um... – um, anybody who is unhappy enough to commit mass murder, I would doubt would be able to become a happy soul pretty easily. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's one thing to have a little bit of hate, but that's having a whole lot of hate. But I don't know. I loved um, somebody gave me years ago the words of Billy Graham, who said how a mother matters. And he wrote about kindness and honesty, which is what I did in my first book, Kindness and Honesty, Um, a parent teaching the child, instilling in the child to be honest and to be kind. And um, the other thing was um, temperance, which, you know, means being respectful of others, holding back, not being violent, 
And the other thing was um, industry, which means, of course, helping other people. And a person who's happy generally does want to help other people. Um, but, you know, I'd like to think you're right that that helping, but it's harder to change somebody than it is to get it right in the beginning. Absolutely. And we can only do our part. So I'd love for you to share uh, how you've done your part and how they can find out more information for a present to the newborn and also for Parenting Without Punishment. Well, they're both, um, both of those little books are on Amazon and um, easy to order from Amazon. And I've got the price kind of low. I'm not in this to make money. I'm in it to, to help. Um, it was kind of thrust upon me. <laughs> School asked me to write. And I did that years ago, and then I just felt <clears throat> like I had to keep it up, <laughs> you know. So, but they're both on Amazon, and also I have a website that has right much on it. But my name is so hard to remember. Um, it's Emily Slingloff. Slingloff is hard to spell, but um, a present to the newborn is a really easy to read, short, comprehensive book um, that I think will help any any parent with a child any age. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh- Thank you for that. And so uh, with that, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. Emily, it was great speaking with you, and please keep up the great work. Well, I enjoyed speaking with you. I hope I didn't speak too much, but I guess that's what I was supposed to do, right? (laughs) 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 And and I I think you think I make sense, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it was perfect, and I think the, the message was germane to the times today. Oh, my gosh. Unfortunately, yes, but I wish every parent in the country would realize the importance of parenting and the importance of being kind, because kindness brings happiness. Yes, yes, indeed. On that note, let, let's stay in touch, Emily, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Well, you're wonderful. Enjoy Atlanta. Thank, Thank you. you. Enjoy the Enjoy Virginia Beach. I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, honey. All right. Bye. Good Bye-bye. Night.